Hello and welcome to this new episode of the Tax Chick Podcast. Today I'm tackling a topic that I feel keeps popping up in my conversations with clients and also with other advisors, and that's the topic of valuations. When do you need one? What is a valuator? What should you be preparing? When do you know that you need to go and get one? And and what does it look like once you have it? All of these questions and more are going to be answered by my guest today, JT Dute. And JT is the founder and principal of Omnis Valuations and Advisory, LTD, which is a boutique advisory firm which specializes in valuations involving privately held businesses and commercial real estate. And JT is one of Canada's only professional valuators that holds both the accredited appraiser, which is AACI designation, and Chartered Business Valuator, or CBV designation. And he helps entrepreneurs and their professional advisors navigate a broad range of issues concerning the value of their tangible and intangible assets. JT also volunteers on various boards and committees related to his profession and community, including he teaches at an undergraduate course on real estate investment analysis as a sessional instructor at the University of Calgary. And JT and I ended up connecting, um, I think, through LinkedIn now about a year or so ago. And I I have actually had clients use JT's services, and it's been a really um, fantastic experience. He's a great person at explaining the valuation process, and I really think this is going to give a lot of value to you guys. Um, We break down basically three topics. So we talk about, you know, what is a valuation and what are the different types of valuations? We then talk about, well, what do you need to gather? So if you've decided, I want to get a valuation and I don't really know what to do, what are some of the documents or things that might be helpful? And then finally, we tackle, well, when would someone turn to a valuator? So what are some of the different scenarios where valuations might be helpful? We also chat a bit about the timing of valuations and how long a valuation is good for, and just some things that you might want to have prepared and ready to go when you give that valuator a call. So I'm really excited to to share this conversation with you, and I hope that it sparks some good conversations um, with your colleagues about the concept of valuations. I am going to be including in the show notes all of the information about JT and also some of the other information that he provides on some of the designations for valuators so that you can uh, go and look that information up and find out whether the person that you're speaking to um, is designated in these various areas. So without further ado, on to our episode. Well, I'm so excited to welcome my guest today to the podcast, uh, JT Dude. And JT, you and I connected, I feel like it was about a year ago or so through through social media. And I have since been able to use your services. I've been able to refer people to you because I needed a good valuations guy in my life. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it probably has been a year, but with COVID, uh, it's it's hard to tell how long it's been for anything these days. I know. I feel like 2020 just disappeared. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I don't know, 2020, 2021, uh, soon it's going to be 2022 and we're going to be confused which year it is. I know, I know. Well, I, I'm really glad that I met you because I, I really appreciate your approach to valuations. And so I'm excited that you agreed to come on the podcast today because I, I feel like I keep having conversations with with clients and with other advisors about 
well, we need evaluation. How do we go about doing that? What are the different types of valuations? And it's just something that no one really teaches us in school. And uh, we we do need to have a better understanding of it. So I'm excited to have you on today because I know that you're you have a great way of explaining these concepts, and I think it'll be wonderful for the listeners. So thanks for taking time today to pop on. Yeah, no, I think this is gonna be great. Well, I as you know, I always start my podcast by asking my guests the same two questions, and I think I may switch them up in 2022. But we're still in the end of season two here, so I, I was wondering <laughs> if you'd indulge me and answer these questions for me. I uh, the first question is um, is about podcasts, and and mostly this is this is selfish, not because I want you to name my podcast, but because I've learned so much about good podcasts from my guests. So my first question is, what is the last podcast you've listened to or your favorite podcast? Uh, well, I will give you a shout out because the last one definitely was yours. Uh, I like the one on uh, estate planning that you just did a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, it reminded me of the line, Pennywise uh, and Pound Foolish, uh, in terms of the way people go about dealing with uh, estate sometimes. So that was good. Uh, and one of my kind of more frequent ones I listen to, I've, I've been listening to for a long time, uh, has been Gary Vee. So Gary Vee's uh, been on my list for a long time. So I enjoy his. He he's great. I've started listening to some of his as well, and they're they're kind of easy listens. Like they're they push you, but you can be doing something else while you're listening to it, right. which I really appreciate. And then my other question is, uh, what is the emoji you use most often when texting? You know, I would say it's either the crying uh, and laughing that one seems to get used a lot uh, and i've kind of moved for over from the thumbs up to the uh, aok uh, hand gesture uh, i feel it's a, just a level up from the thumbs up well okay let's jump in because we have lots to talk about uh and so we kind of chatted about how to break down all these topics i mean the world of valuations is is complex and there's a lot of things to tackle. So our goal today is to give people a very basic understanding of the world of valuations and and maybe share some of the lingo. So if you hear certain words, you understand what those words mean. And so we were going to tackle three key topics. And one of those topics is what are the different types of valuations? And then the second topic is why do you need a valuation? Or what are the circumstances where maybe you might want to call a evaluator? And then the last one is, well, if, you're, if you've hired someone, you're getting a valuation, what documents should you be gathering to help the evaluator come to a conclusion? So should we, should we dive right into issue one? Sounds great. Let's go. All right. So issue number one is what are the different types of valuations? And I mean, I have heard this a number of times and I can never repeat this. I always keep forgetting. I just know that there's three different kinds or four different kinds and that they vary in complexity. And and that's my level of, of remembrance on this. So please, please educate me. Yeah. So I'll start uh, from the basics. So uh, myself, I do both commercial real estate appraisals and business valuations. Uh, so they are related, but slightly different in terms of the type of professional that generally does those types of valuations. Uh, so the first thing you need to start with is what are we valuing? Uh, so I often get calls from people uh, sometimes looking to get a value on a car uh, or a piece of jewelry. Uh, and that's not something in my wheelhouse. That's not what I do. So the first thing is to identify what type of asset do you need valued? Uh, and if it's real estate, then you'll be going to a real estate appraiser. If it's uh, machinery, equipment, uh, some real estate appraisers will also uh, deal with those types of assets. 
Uh, whereas in other cases, you need to go to someone, for example, that's specializing uh, just in antique cars or, or artwork or whatever type of asset it is that you need valued. Uh, and then we have businesses, operating businesses, and those are generally valued by uh, CBVs, Charter Business Valuators. So that is generally uh, the qualification or the credential that's used to value businesses. So the first step is to understand, you know, what it is, is it, what's the asset or what are the assets that we need valued? That, that's an excellent point because I do feel like sometimes people don't know where to turn and there's so many different options or places that you can go. So I appreciate your your summary of the CBV. Um, that's very helpful to understand. So we figured out what are we valuing. Let's say we've gotten to the place now where you've decided that you can value whatever it is that somebody wants to value. What are the options available to that person in terms of the type of valuation that they can get? Right. So I'll move over to real estate. What I think people are generally a little bit more familiar with or comfortable with real estate. Uh, so on the real estate side, if you're needing a property appraisal, well, what type of property is it? Is it, is it a residential property or is it a commercial property? Uh, and I can understand how it could be a bit confusing. Uh, so the Appraisal Institute of Canada or the AIC uh, is the main body, professional body that governs real estate appraisers in Canada. And there are two types of designations that the Appraisal Institute of Canada has. One is the residential appraiser, CRA designation, and the other is the accredited appraiser or AACI designation. And residential appraisers deal with single family homes, uh, properties up to four units, so fourplexes and under, uh, acreages. So those types of properties fall within the wheelhouse of a residential appraiser, as opposed to, for example, let's say you have a 10 unit apartment building, uh, even though that use is technically a residential use, uh, it's actually a commercial property from an appraisal perspective. So you need to go to uh, a commercial real estate or commercial real estate appraiser for that type of appraisal. Uh, most people are probably familiar with, you know, getting their house appraised for financing. So the type of report or appraisal that you would receive in that situation uh, would be what we call a form report, right? It's pretty standard. Uh, it's kind of, you know, drop down boxes and the way that it's laid out when you look at it. Um, that's what I think most people are probably more familiar with. When you're dealing with commercial properties, uh, generally those are done in a narrative report. And those reports can be, you know, 50, 100, 200 pages, depending on the type of asset. Uh, so generally speaking, those are the, the types of reports that you'll see in the world of, of real estate appraisal. When we move over to business valuation, like you were mentioning earlier, you know, the different types of reports, uh, it really started, you know, the genesis of business valuation started in accounting. So similar to accounting, how there's three different types of financial statements, uh, there's three different types of business valuation reports. Uh, and really the intended use, the purpose, why you need the valuation is really what drives what type of report that you need. That, that is very helpful. Uh, thank you first for breaking down the different types of evaluators in terms of their designations and the letters behind names, because I think sometimes when we're entering into a new field and we're trying to hire somebody, we don't really know if the person's legitimate or not. We don't know what letters to look for or, or what designations to look for. So thank you for summarizing that. So I, I get where you're coming from in terms of the business valuations. There's these three different types. Can you just name the three different types for us so that people can get sort of comfortable with some of the keywords. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it starts at level one, if you will, uh, calculation. So that would be a calculation evaluation report. Then you move up to the second level. That's an estimate evaluation report. And lastly, level three, a uh, comprehensive evaluation report. So that's something that you would see in situations where there's litigation or you really need, you know, the full bells and whistles uh, type of evaluation report. All right. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that for us. And I guess in terms of deciding which one of those that you'd need, that would be part of the initial discussion with the evaluator. So you'd, you'd probably be asking questions like, what do you need this for? What are you planning to use it for? And then you can offer suggestions as to which of those levels is necessary. Exactly. Yeah. It depends on really the person's situation, you know, the purpose and intended use of the evaluation. Uh, and partially also what information is available, right? I mean, if you have uh, your financial statements kind of uh, financial statements to you means numbers kind of sorted all over the place and, you know, some numbers on some napkins here and there. Uh, you know, you just don't have audited financial statements, right? You don't have recent tax returns. You have no information. So that in itself would really preclude someone like me from doing uh, a comprehensive valuation, right? So it's a, a function of what do you need it for? What's the purpose and intended use? But also what information do you have the relevant information needed to do that type of valuation? And so if, if let's say you started down the path and you chose level one and you were going down that path, is it possible once you have the level one to then say, okay, now we actually need something more detailed. We can go up to level two as long as the information is available? You know, generally we'll deal with that at the outset. Um, so, you know, part of our process here is when we send out a letter of engagement, that'll include an information request. Uh, so we'll have an idea of what even actually before we send out the letter of engagement, we generally have an idea based on our initial call with the client, what information they have available. And then we'll, you know, just to confirm, we'll send additional uh, information requests. So we have everything that, that's available. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the client doesn't have the information needed to do a higher level valuation. Um, and in that case, they'll just do whatever type of valuation uh, that they can at that point in time. I understand. I understand. So maybe I I had our topics in a certain order, but as you're talking, I think it makes sense to flip them a little bit because you started talking about what information is available. And I wonder if we should flip to that discussion because I find that's often a huge kind of stopping point for my clients is they, they don't know what to gather and they want to be helpful, but they don't even know what information that they need. So if, if someone's decided they need to get evaluation, what types of documents or information should they be trying to bundle together for you? Sure. So I'll start with real estate. Um, so the number one thing is, well, we need to identify the property. So how do we identify the property? Um, you know, we can get the municipal address. We can look at the certificate of title. We can look at the property assessment notice or the property tax notice. Uh, if the property is currently under contract uh, for purchase or sale, we can look at that agreement that will identify the property. Uh, so identifying, again, going back to the basics, what are we valuing? So identification of the property uh, is key. Then depending on the type of property, again, if it's uh, an investment property that's leased, for example, versus an owner-occupied property, you know, we'll need information such as lease agreements, uh, rent rolls, that type of information. Uh, if this is a property that is in the process of being developed, we'll want to see things like development permit applications, building permit applications, uh, that type of information. Then we'll also want to see other professional reports or studies prepared on the property. So, you know, as appraisers, we have expertise in valuations. 
uh, but that doesn't mean that we're specialists in surveying, for example. You know, we're not land surveyors. Uh, we're not environmental consultants. Uh, we're not engineers. So there's a bunch of other reports that people would typically get done on their properties at some point uh, during their investment horizon. So those reports would include things like environmental site assessments, and those could be phase one, two, or three. Uh, there's building condition assessments, also known as BCAs, uh, and that really speaks to the physical condition of the property and any issues that, that might be there. Uh, real property reports or RPRs, uh, banks generally look for those, make sure that you know the property isn't encroaching onto uh, the adjacent property. Uh, again, going back to surveys, uh, we're not surveyors, but knowing you know the boundaries of the property uh, is important. So uh, site plans, boundary surveys, uh, if we're looking at development site, things like topographic surveys, uh, geotechnical reports to understand you know a bit more about the soils. Uh, so there's quite a quite a few different reports that come into play depending on which type of property it is that we're appraising. Um, and then you know sometimes clients have professional photographs uh, of their properties and you know my my photo taking skills aren't the greatest so if those are available um, I'll, I'll definitely take take those that that's actually a very interesting point because I think a lot of people are using the drone technology now um, I'm thinking of some of the mineral or gravel pits that we have in Saskatchewan when we're trying to figure out values for those for example that it is so helpful to have that overhead view um, so, so also good to know if, if someone's listening to this and thinking, oh, I've actually got some good video or, or photo footage, that that's something helpful to pass along as well on, on top of all of this. Absolutely. So that's kind of the listing for if you're doing like a real estate appraisal. Uh, what if someone's thinking about selling their business and they're trying to come up with a value and they're kind of struggling? What are the types of documents that you'd be looking for there? So for a business, we're looking at, you know, the financial statements are is a starting point. And I think that's uh, an important point to make is that the financial statements are really the starting point. A lot of times people think that, you know, here's my financial statements, you know, can I have the report next week? Um, and it doesn't quite work that way because the financial statements uh, are, are good and that is absolutely something that we need. But just looking at someone's financial statements and, and seeing, for example, a line item called salaries and wages, for example, uh, I have no idea what's gone into that, right? In terms of you as an owner, how much salary have you taken? Um, you know, what type of compensation model do you have? Do you have, do you pay your employees on an hourly basis, on a fixed salary, uh, on a percentage or on a split basis? So, you know, additional information on the operations of the company doesn't really come from the financial statements. That really comes from conversations with the, the owner. And there's really no one that knows a business better uh, than the business owner. So, you know, the financial statements are really a starting point for us to take a look at um, any trends or any things that might stick out. And then we'll go back to the owner and ask questions and dig deeper into whatever areas we need. Financial statements, uh, corporate tax returns, those are kind of the fundamentals in terms of the numbers. But then again, going back to, you know, what are we valuing? Sometimes we're valuing, somebody might say, you know, I have a business um, and I'm looking to either sell it or pass it along to, to my children, um, but they don't own 100% ownership in the business, right? They own a 50% ownership interest or 25% ownership in that business. Uh, well, in that case, we also need to know more about the ownership structure of the business and is there a shareholders agreement in place or is there a unanimous shareholders agreement in place uh, we'll want to see the incorporation documents so in terms of the articles bylaws uh, that type of documentation so 
you know, again, what are we valuing? Uh, seems like a pretty straightforward question, but sometimes it's a little bit more complicated than it might seem at the outset. Uh, and also in terms of the numbers, you know, that's the starting point, uh, but that's just, that's just it, right? It's just the starting point. We really can't delve into the valuation uh, until we really have a sit down and conversation with the business owners. Well, and and I think it's also interesting to to sort of think about the the fact that valuation for a business can be very personalized, whereas I feel like valuation for real estate tends to be a bit more objective. But on on the business side, I mean, yes, there's the objective assets that you might want to be looking at that the business owns, but that a lot of it can be dependent on on the people and what they're actually doing and what's actually underlying those various line items and and even what they've contracted to. So things like unanimous shareholders agreements, buy shell agreements, which makes me think about the concept of a discount factor. Because mm-hmm. I feel like we do a lot of chatting about that on the lawyer side of things when we're negotiating um, shareholders agreements with clients. Can you talk a little bit about the discount factor and how that may or may not factor in, I guess, to what you're doing on the valuation side? You know, when we talk about valuing an ownership interest that's less than uh, 100%, you know, we'll talk about minority discounts potentially being applicable in those situations and how much of a minority discount uh, there might be really is a function of the the business and the ownership interest itself, but also your relationship with the other shareholders and, and some context around that in terms of, well, is it, you know, your family and then you maybe there's a couple of different families and you have a 5% interest, but your siblings with the rest of your siblings and your family, perhaps you control 60%, for example, right? Um, so there's, it, it does get quite confusing. And again, that goes back to what are we valuing in the in the higher level context of, of what it is that we're valuing and for what purpose. Um, so we'll look into those types of things. And really that minority discount, uh, it re- also speaks to the marketability of, of selling that type of interest. So generally speaking, there's more people interested in buying companies outright, meaning 100% ownership interest, than there are people looking to buy you know, 25% interest in the company, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess just to kind of back up for people who might be, might have never been in this situation before, but the concept of this type of minority discount is, you know, if you, if you own 10% of a company and the company is worth a hundred dollars, I'm going to do lawyer math here because that's easier for me. So the company's worth a hundred dollars, you own 10%. So you'd think, oh, my share must be $10, right? That would be what you'd think. But the the comment that you're making is, well, you know, what's the market for that $10? And are you part of another group that maybe actually has a controlling interest that you and your spouse or you and your siblings um, together own more than 50%? So therefore your 10% actually carries some weight. And so it is kind of interesting because it's not quite as cut and dry as just doing the math. And then we'll often also have discounts built in depending on the reason why we're trying to value, which is another thing we're going to get to. But I mean, if if we're doing a valuation because you've gone bankrupt or because you've breached the agreement or done something bad, so to speak, well, maybe your 10% shouldn't be worth 10% in that instance. And so that can sometimes have a bit of an impact on the overall valuation as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I can appreciate the confusion, right? I mean, it's, it seems pretty logical. You know, you have a hundred dollar property, you own 10%. Okay. You know, mine's my share is worth, 
uh, you know, ten dollars. My pro rata share is is ten bucks, but it doesn't always work that way. And and those are the types of conversations that we have with clients to help them understand not just the number, but really the why behind the number. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, I always like to know the why behind numbers. Maybe that's because I don't have that background in math. But for me to understand the number, I need to know how we got there. I'm that person, so I appreciate the why behind the number. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I want to take a few minutes to explain who I am and why I started this podcast. I am a tax lawyer and I practice in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. I fell into the practice of tax law despite having a lifelong hatred of spreadsheets, math, and numbers in general. I feel pretty lucky because my day job allows me to have conversations with some wonderful people who are very knowledgeable in their fields of practice. I thought it might be fun to share some of these conversations with you. I know the tax can be complex, but there are some basic foundational principles and key information that you deserve to understand and to know. I hope that when you finish listening to each episode, you feel like you have learned at least one thing that will be helpful to you in your day-to-day life. And maybe we will even give you a laugh in the meantime. But enough about me. Back to the episode. I, I wonder if this takes us to maybe our third point of why do we need evaluation? Because I think that you've kind of described for us the different types of evaluations. You've talked about what people need to gather, but then we started kind of jumping into some examples of when people might want evaluation. What are some of the, I guess, most typical ones that you would see? for reasons why someone needs evaluation. So I know you like to use buckets. I'm a big fan of using buckets as well um, when explaining things to clients. So, you know, generally I would say there's three buckets. Um, You could say the transaction bucket where somebody needs uh, an independent valuation for their bank, for example. Uh, They need financing. Uh, Perhaps they want to sell their company or their property and they want to know for their own interest uh, an independent opinion of value. Uh, someone not not a broker, they want to get their own opinion, right? And from there, they want to form their strategy in terms of the next steps. So, you know, that's the transaction bucket. Then we have the dispute bucket. Uh, and there's a variety of disputes, right? I mean, uh, life is complicated. So there's marital disputes, there's partnership shareholder disputes, there's tax disputes, um, there's property assessment disputes in the real estate world. Um, so there's quite a few different reasons there insurance disputes another one um so then we move over to the third bucket which is tax planning and and really generally this is done more on a proactive basis uh in tax disputes so or tax planning so tax planning uh, generally or sometimes uh, is done on on a more proactive basis so somebody may be looking to do an estate freeze for example um so those types of things are generally done in advance so that's helpful and sometimes they're not done in advance somebody you know a shareholder may have passed away and now we need to do evaluation based on the date of death for that deemed disposition of that asset well and and that kind of makes me think about another question is that the timing of this so this concept of you've talked about sometimes it's transaction based so therefore arguably you must be coming up with a value for a certain date because that's the date upon which the transaction will happen. Or for disputes, there would be a value as of a certain date, because that's likely the date that the dispute is about. And then similarly for tax planning, when we're when we're doing 
and and I always like to try to do proactive tax planning. That's my goal. But you're right. Sometimes a state tax planning ends up being reactive simply because the person died and now we're dealing with the estate and we have no choice. But again, there's a date associated with that. So when you're trying to figure out, okay, I need a valuation and I'm going to get one done for X date. What is the value of that valuation kind of going forward? Like, how can you use that valuation if it's very specific to a certain point in time? Is there an expiration date on the usefulness of valuations or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think that's uh, an area that a lot of people don't quite understand um, is that valuation, whether we're talking about real estate or business, valuation is always estimated at a point in time. Right. Because there's a variety of things happening both within you know, the company or the business. Uh, you could be making improvements. Uh, there could be, you know, bad things happening within the company or, or the property. You know, you could have some damage, whatever the case may be. Um, and there's also things that are changing outside in the broader economy. Right. So there's all these things that are changing. And so we always have to pick a date when we prepare valuation. And that date can be current. You know, we call it a contemporaneous valuation where, you know, the opinion of value that I'm providing aligns with the period of time in which I'm providing or preparing that valuation. So if I'm doing a report um, as of today, the valuation is as of today, I'm, I'm issuing that report as of today, as opposed to, for example, preparing a retrospective valuation where perhaps I need to value this company or this real estate as of January 1st, 2018, for example. And that brings into question uh, or brings up the concept of hindsight, right? Hindsight is something that in the valuation world, we're generally not supposed to use in, in almost all contexts. So, you know, if I needed to value, for example, let's say a hotel, a hotel as of January 1st, 2020, before mm. kind of COVID, we, we thought about right. COVID uh, in our world here. So, you know, imagine that valuation on that hotel just before COVID. And I remember quite vividly, uh, you know, in March, what was happening. And now imagine you want to use that report in March uh, or even March 1st, you have the report done kind of pre-COVID and COVID hits. And now literally the next day you need to use that valuation. Uh, You could say it's gone, um, you know, it's not useful anymore to, to the intended users because now it's the external environment has changed so much from when that valuation report was was prepared. So, you know, people will talk about, you know, valuations becoming stale dated. And in terms of, well, what is that? Is it, you know, like you mentioned, the expiration, is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a year? Um, there really is no consistent answer to that because it really depends on the asset itself, you know, what's happening internally and also what's happening externally within the marketplace. And I guess, though, I've seen clients before where they've had, let's say, their business valued in like 2010. And so, you know, then they're coming to me and it's now almost 12 years later. And and maybe they're looking to either bring somebody new in or sell to a third party. And they say, well, I've got this old valuation. Like, is that any good? And and my gut reaction is always, well, don't throw it out because it's it's a point in time conclusion of something. But likely your business today does not look like your business did 12 years ago, but perhaps some of the factors that went into determining that valuation may still be relevant factors for you today. So maybe sometimes you piece together stuff from that valuation and that can be used. Like, can you update valuations? 
Yeah. So on the real estate side, you know, you'll often see people having their real estate appraisals updated. For example, uh, maybe you try to go for financing or you think about going for financing. Um, and now for whatever reason, six months have passed and, and you haven't able to get it done. And now, you know, the lenders are asking you for an updated opinion because they don't want to use a six month old opinion. In that case, you know, we can update that opinion of value as opposed to, for example, in your situation, you know, that appraisal was 12 years old. You know, there's probably been so many things that have changed within the property uh, and as well, you know, the surrounding area that we really have to do a new report. We can't just update that existing report. Fair enough. Fair enough. So if somebody was to kind of phone you cold and say, you know, hey, I need evaluation done of my business. Can you walk us through the steps and and maybe the potential timeframes to get from that first phone call until the time they have a finalized valuation? Yeah. So the first step, uh, you know, is understanding the purpose and intended use of the valuation, right? And that's going to really drive uh, our scope of work. What are we going to do? What documents do we need to rely on? So once we have that understanding, uh, we'll prepare an engagement letter that sets out you know, all the documentation that we need, our expected timeline to complete the report. Uh, it could be anywhere from you know, three weeks to three months, again, depending on the type of valuation that we're preparing, the type of company or the type of asset, the complexity of the asset. Um, and really another thing that really can expedite or delay the process is how much back and forth there is in terms of us collecting information from the client. So, you know, earlier we talked about some of the information that we need. Uh, so a lot of times where unnecessary time is added to the process is when we're waiting on critical pieces of information to come in and we're kind of, you know, stuck and, and can't really move forward without those, those pieces of information. That, that's a really good point because I find that happens in the legal community sometimes too, where you're trying to work on a big project, but there's a key document that you're waiting on. And when that doesn't come in and you're kind of pushing back and forth and all of a sudden it comes in, well, you, you may have five others you're working on now, so you can't drop everything and now jump back to this one because the one information tended right. to show up. And so it, it is a bit of a, a bit of a juggling. So what I'm getting from what you're saying is the key important thing when somebody phones you is they need to know why they're asking for the valuation. And it doesn't mean that you need to have some complex paragraph about what you need, but is it because your bank wants it? Is it because you've got a third party who's interested in your business? Is it because you're looking to do some proactive tax planning? But you should have some indication or, or you know, are you being sued? Do we need to figure out um, what, what the value of the business is because there's active litigation? So knowing why you're asking for it will then allow you to ask the right questions back to the person to say, okay, well, if this is what you need, when do you need it by? And is there any parameters? of what you're actually looking for. Because I know sometimes the lending institutions will specifically say, these are some of the things that we need to see in the final report. And so once you know why you need it, then you can make sure that you've incorporated that into your report to the client. Absolutely. And, and you know, like you mentioned earlier, the, the reasons why you need evaluation, you know, we understand that the people don't want to pay more than, you know, they absolutely need to, to get evaluation. So, you know, sometimes, or in every single valuation report, I should say, we also have to identify the intended users and the intended use of that valuation. And sometimes, you know, you can't use a report, even though we're talking about the same asset, for example, um, your company or your property. If that valuation was prepared 
for a certain context. Let's say, for example, expropriation, right? There's lots of rules around how that type of valuation is done. And that may not be exactly the same as how we would value that asset in, for example, a typical financing transaction, right? Um, or for example, if you're appealing your property assessment, right? There are some nuances there that the value that we come up with would be different from what it may be in a different context, right? Or a different intended use. So one thing that you need to do when you talk to your evaluator is to clearly communicate the purpose and intended use, but also look ahead and say, well, you know, can we kill two birds with one stone in terms of, well, you know, we need to refinance our property in six months. We know our, our mortgage is coming up, uh, but we're also looking to do an estate freeze, right? So does it maybe make sense to hold off on this valuation for a couple of months? And as long as the evaluator is aware of that and is comfortable with that, that yes, I can provide you, you know, authorization to use this report for those multiple purposes, um, you're better off, right? At the same time, maybe your fiscal year end is, you know, three weeks away and you want to get a valuation report right now. Well, you know, you're probably better off just waiting for your fiscal year end statements to be ready and do the valuation as of that date. Uh, and it just makes for a cleaner valuation report. So, you know, sometimes people will reach out and say, you know, I need a valuation. But once we kind of walk through the process, um, they find out that it's in their best interest to maybe hold off for a little bit. That's very interesting. I like that about the idea that you might come for one purpose, but there actually might be a couple more purposes down the road that you might need this for. So let's have the big discussion first to see if there's a way to encompass this so that you don't drop a bunch of money and then drop a bunch of money again. I, I exactly. like that concept. Okay. Well, I this has been very helpful. I really appreciate your kind of tips and tricks because I think we don't often find ourselves phoning evaluator. And so then when we do, sometimes you're just not sure what to say because you don't really know what you need and you don't know the lingo, you don't know the terms. So I appreciate some of the tips and tricks that you've shared today. Yeah, I know it is uh, something that, you know, doesn't come up uh, very often. So it makes sense why, you know, there's so much confusion around it. So we do our best to, to help people out and help them understand what they're getting into. And, you know, at the end of the day, evaluation, it's an opinion, right? So mm. uh, everyone has an opinion. So you can go to anyone, you can go to your neighbor, right? You can go to anyone to, to get their opinion, but ultimately, who's relying on that opinion, right? What is that opinion being used for? And who should be preparing that opinion, right? These are all things for people to consider. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. And we're going to have to have you back again. I think this could be easily a two-parter where we could get into a bit more detail on this. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Amanda. This is great. Well, that is all we have time for today. I hope we gave you some food for thought or at least made you smile. Please see the show notes for any resource material that we reference throughout the episode and also to find out more about today's guest. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in reading or learning more, I invite you to subscribe to my blog, The Tax Chick Blog, and to follow me on Instagram under the handle at tax.chick. A huge thank you to my guest today and also a big thank you to my husband who created the music used in this episode. If you have an idea for a future episode or a burning question you would like to see discussed, please send me an email at thetaxchickpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, then please leave a review and click subscribe to be notified when new episodes are posted. 
Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice.